Today's scripture reading is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 16. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 16. Verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the saviour for all people, especially of those who believe. Verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Thank you, Rachel, for reading God's word to us. Before we enter the text, let us uh, go to God in prayer. Uh, Father God, we are grateful that we can take this holy moment to separate ourselves from the frenetic schedules we have been keeping, from all the noise that we have been listening to, in order to hear a word from the almighty King of creation. So, Father, receive our worship now, not just our worship of song and of prayer, but worship of open ears and open hearts. Speak truth to your people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, most of you who have been with us know that we have entered now uh, the second month of a year-long series we are calling Believe, Belong, and Behave. This is not three separate topics, it's one interconnected topic. So let me just put it out there. You do not actually have to be a Christian and be in church. You can listen to a sermon online, right? You can listen to great worship music online, but only in community can we practice Christ-like behaviors. You need one and you need another. This is our calling, to believe, to belong, and to behave not like self-improved religious people, but to behave like we have been transformed by the blood of Christ. In 1986, Sherry and I moved from California to the plains of Saskatchewan, a town called Moose Jaw, 35,000 people. It was traumatic for me because even though I was born in Canada, I was born and raised in a city. I'd never been in a small prairie town before. I felt like I was a cross-cultural missionary. Uh, 
Uh, I uh, knew nothing about ministry. But that wasn't the problem. The problem was I didn't know that I didn't know anything about ministry. I just graduated with a master's in ministry, right? Where, where every deep theological problem is solved in a classroom in 50 minutes. I, I thought I knew what I was doing, but in three weeks, I preached every sermon I had. And, and then I began to panic. Every single week, I lived with panic. And so I would drive once a month, two and a half hours to a truck stop in Saskatchewan, and five other young pastors just like me would do the same thing. We were separate. You know, Canada is a big country, right? So we, we would drive a long way, meet once a month at this truck stop just to learn from one another. Now, I've heard now that that's called peer mentoring. There was no such term then. It was just desperate men who needed help. We weren't all peers, in fact. One of them uh, was not a peer. He was much older than us. He came from Texas. And you know, in Texas, churches are big. And we just assume that the solution to every problem a pastor has is a bigger church. Right? So we listen to this pastor. But, but what we discovered as we met every month is this pastor had a controversy in his church. And the controversy was over who believed the Bible more. They all believed the Bible, but there was division in the church over who believed the Bible the most. And, and the problem was the pastor was accused of not being that guy who believed the Bible the most. And so there was divisions. One side was supporting the pastor. The other side was, our pastor doesn't believe that God's word is infallible and inerrant, perfect in every way. In fact, he told us a story of one time an old deacon stood up in the church and said, Pastor, I believe every word of this Bible is true. I even believe it's genuine leather because it says right on here, bonded leather. Unaware, perhaps, of the fact that bonded leather means not real leather. <laughs> he, he had controversy. So much so that he told us, I've started just keeping attendance on Wednesday business meetings because we have more people. That was the year I lost my innocence Be, because this brother who I was looking for to help guide me with, with his wisdom of having come from a Big church, and by the way, this was Henry Blackaby's church, those of you who know experiencing God, but this brother was not Henry Blackaby. And, and finally he said to us, on the last peer mentoring meeting, he said, I've unified the church. And I was like, that's awesome. How did you do that? Both sides despise me. <laughs> They've come together. That, that pastor is now... Um, he owns a hunting lodge in northern Saskatchewan. That was the last church he pastored. So here's the question that our text mulls over. What do you do when there's controversy in your church? Well, what do you do when there's controversy in your own personal life and ministry? When, when there's potential division? Because controversy is not unique to that man's church. It was actually in Timothy's church. 
And so in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul opens up for us a window of how an old missionary would coach a young man whose church has controversy. Now the title of this message is, Let No One Despise You. And how can we live in such a way that we live beyond the criticism of people who are around us? Maybe you feel it at work. Let's be honest, right? It's not easy to be a Christian in the world today. You, you will find co-workers doing better than you because they do something you feel uncomfortable doing yourself. It's not easy being a Christian in this world today. It's not easy existing, thriving as a church and so, let's notice, first of all, the controversy that was present in, in this church. And this is the background of 1 Timothy. And, and the challenge for us is we spent all of last year in the book of Acts. book of Acts was the heady glory days, the good old days when, when the church was exploding with growth. And, and that's the standard by which all pastors measure their ministry. That's a problem right there. We forget that there's a reason then, two decades later, that the Apostle Paul now sitting in prison, not preaching in Athens, not pastoring in Ephesus or in Corinth. He, he is in prison writing a pastor who is full of anxiety. Well, what, what, what's happened to all that growth? And verses 1 through 6 says, but remind you, Pastor Timothy... The Spirit expressly, clearly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. That doesn't mean they lost their salvation. That means they were attracted to the faith. They learned the language of the faith. They sang the songs of the faith. And then when they heard something that they didn't agree with, they left. They devoted themselves to deceitful spirits to teachings of demons. In the Greek, that word demons actually literally means foreign gods. The foreign gods were, were attractive. The spirit of deception is active through the insincerity of liars whose consciences have been seared, who forbid marriage, require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything actually is created by God and is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the Word of God and by prayer. Men and women who at one time said all the right words, prayed the right prayers, they had begun to be led away by teaching of, by men who had learned how to monetize their personalities who had learned how to teach something that was already attractive in the culture, and young pastors get easily deceived, assuming that if we are not the biggest group in this town of Ephesus, then there's something wrong that we're doing. We're, we're full of anxiety. And can you imagine what other standard of measurement do, does a church have to, to gauge the pastor's ministry than by church growth or by church decline? C can you imagine in this young man's heart the anxiety he was feeling? What is happening? The Apostle Paul surprises 
in that he doesn't try to criticize this young man. He says several things. First of all, remember, God's Spirit has clearly said this is going to happen. Don't believe that everyone in your ministry is going to be saved. The road is narrow because the road has a name. The name is Jesus. It's not Jesus plus other stuff. It is just simply Christ. And assign blame where it belongs. Not, he didn't say people are leaving. Oh, so that means you must be doing something wrong. He says there is a, a deceptive spirit active. You know where Satan is active? Not in Syria because Syria is already being destroyed by human flesh. Not in North Korea. He is active in the church of God. Trying to draw God's treasure away. And so the Apostle Paul said, just, just look at what is happening. It's these deceptive spirits, the insincerity of liars who require additional things that the gospel does not require. And then third, he says, I just want you to know where the right side is in verses 4 and 5. You know, remember that everything created by God is good. Don't, don't add burdens to God's people with the ideas that come not from God's Spirit, not from the Gospel. And so he chooses, fascinating to me, because I've shared before, my culture is not particularly encouraging. The Apostle Paul chooses words of comfort instead of words of correction. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, this is verse 6, Put these things before the brothers. You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. This is surprising to me. He's saying not if you have a lot of good followers, but if you commit yourself to the good teaching of Christ. And, and, and you know, that word follow is, is not follow like my three boys followed me. Like those of you who are parents, you, you probably can relate to my experience. I, I feel like all the years that my boys, who are now young men, and two of them are raising children of their own, that's comfort for fathers. Now they understand. Because I, spent, I felt like I spent all of my life asking them the same question, are you coming or not? <laughs> yes, I'm coming. When are you coming? Just a minute. <laughs> like, that's my boys following me. But that's not this word that's being used in the Greek. That, that's not the word that they're talking. Not like children follow their father. It's like Harley followed me. Harley's our dog. It's the year of the dog, so it deserves an illustration. You, you know how Harley followed me. I would be sitting in my chair. He'd be sitting right on my feet. And I'd get up to go to the kitchen, and he would get up and follow me. I'd rinse my hands in the sink, turn around, and I'd hear yelping because I'd step on him. He's right at my feet. And I'd always be saying, Harley, why do you have to be right at my feet? You know, that's the word that Paul uses right here because that word follow is kolutheo. But that's not the word he uses. The word he uses is parakolutheo. In, in other words, follow right alongside 
When, when crises come, don't say, just a minute, Lord, I'll be there. When crisis comes, be right up against him. Be right underneath his feet. When difficulty comes, cling to him. It's that follow that the Apostle Paul urges this young pastor. This is where you need it most. You, you, you don't need to learn more good doctrine. Cling to him. Follow the teaching you already know. That is how you can be a good servant. You see, you understand this is not church growth teaching. This is, this is not church growth strategy. This is a strategy to find ourselves beneath the pleasure of the Almighty God. When difficulties come in your life, when difficulties and crises come in church, cling to Christ, get under His feet, and then secondly, give attention to the greater good. So there's lots of good stuff in the world, right? In fact, our, our young people have so many choices. All of them seem good. Uh, how do you know which is better? It's a critical question. And, and this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to help this young pastor with. When crises come, you know, choose the better good. Uh, another way to say this is, is don't be great at things that don't matter that much. Our young people have to learn it when they level up on the game. That's, that's awesome right then, but it's not more awesome. And in 10 years, it won't matter. Actually, it doesn't matter now. They just don't realize it. Don't be great at things that really don't matter. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. You know what he's saying? He's saying most people are setting goals that are too short. When I asked you what is your long-term goals, many of you start thinking about retirement, right? Do I have enough CPF? That's not long-term. Eternity is long-term. What are your plans after death? You know, because the way I function now is going to prepare me. If you have short-term goals, you want to be able to retire at 65, then you need to make some short-term plans. You need to change how you're spending. If you plan to live forever, if you believe your soul is eternal, then you need to shift some plans. You need to make different choices right now. Now, I think this is fascinating. I, I'm not sure if you realize this, but during the Napoleonic Wars, the British Civil Service uh, set up a watchtower on the narrowest point in the English Channel, the city of Dover. And that lighthouse was manned with someone who was watching out across the channel for any sign that Napoleon's navy would come. And at first sign of a ship, an armada of ships, he would ring this great bell. And the church in Dover was to ring the bell. And all the churches all across England were to ring the bell, warning, Napoleon is coming. Now that seems like a worthy effort. And you know they filled this position until 1942? I, I'm sure that guy was well trained. I'm sure he was ready to pull that bell. But, but at some point, you've got to realize, if it's not worth doing, then there's no point doing it more effectively. If it's not worth doing, 
It's not worth doing with greater expertise and, and, and greater training. At some point, somebody has to say, hey, you know, Napoleon's been dead for 120 years. I'm pretty sure he's not coming. The, the Apostle Paul is trying to get this young pastor to focus on those things that are better, on the greater good. And so he says, train for godliness. Bodily training is of some value. And, and now right away we think, oh, he's talking about physical exercise. He's talking about, you know, CrossFit is good. It's, it's good for, you know, it has some value. But actually in the context of this passage, he's talking about, you know, the, there's some value in training your intellect. There, there's, there's some value in, in training and developing your rhetorical skills so you can debate with these heretics. There, there, there's some value, you know, in improving your delivery, you know, deliver with conviction so it sounds convincing. But the Apostle Paul is reminding him that a better value is to be spiritually fit. Godliness is of greater value. And you know what the funny thing is? Even in this, we Christians find controversy. Because Paul says again then in verse 10, for to this end we toil in strive. In other words, we develop godly character. We toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. And so some people say, you see, God's grace is wide. It's, God's grace is broad. Everyone will be saved. Some are especially saved, but, but all people were saved. No, there's not two kinds of salvation. He's not saying some will be saved and some will be especially saved. What he's saying is what I might say about the zoo. Mandai Road is the way to the zoo for all Singaporeans, especially for those who believe it actually is. If you don't believe this is a road, you're not probably going to get there. The road has a name. It is Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul says, right now, you don't need to train yourself in great biblical rhetoric. Right now, leave your de convictional delivery alone. Relax. Train yourself in Christ-likeness. Because some of us need to understand, you know, your great dogma can be absolutely cratered by your lousy delivery, meaning behavior. You're not going to win somebody over with your conviction. But when conviction and godliness are in the same messenger, the message becomes far more convincing. Finally, Timothy, um, focus on these two things, your call and your character. Command and teach these things. 
Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Uh, I know that not everybody's a fan of Rick Warren. Rick Warren uh, was the son of a pastor, a Southern Baptist pastor, but when he graduated from seminary, he decided he, he needed to go to Southern California and just start a new church, a church for people who don't go to church. So he does some cultural things, you know, that probably wouldn't fit here in Singapore, like he likes to, you know, preach in a Hawaiian shirt. I guess it's a really, you know, Southern California thing. He's just really relaxed, open collar. Uh, and not everybody loves his doctrine, but um, I, I make no judgment on his doctrine. What I do know is he, he is a, a good, godly man. And, and someone asked him, you know, this happens, it doesn't happen to me, but it happens to preachers who are famous. You know, that preachers get famous and other preachers get famous by criticizing famous preachers. <laughs> you know, so so the, he was asked, so what do you do with all the internet trolls, you know, who, who make comments about your doctrine is not completely orthodox or you, you, were, you were off in your, your delivery of this illustration? What do, you, what do you do with it? I'll never forget his response. His response is, I have determined to outfriend them, outlove them, and if I have to, outlive them. <laughs> you know, th- th- that's a good, godly response. We-, we have preachers who are always correcting preachers, and-, and then preachers who feel the need to defend the correction. And, and-, and the Apostle Paul would say, this-, this is not what you should focus on. Focus on what you have been called to do. This is what you have been called to do. All of us have some imperfection, right? Like I've noticed some, some of you are, you know, old. And, 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 you know, some of you are women. Yeah. And, and, and a couple of us are Canadian. We all have imperfections. Apostle Paul would say, don't let them despise you. Let no one despise you for the shape God gave you. Celebrate who you are. But, but notice what he does not say. He doesn't say, okay, you're youthful. Demonstrate the advantages of youthful you know, energy. He, he, he doesn't say, prove your position in Scripture. Instead, he says, set the godly standard. Christian leaders are not supposed to be the best. They're supposed to be the first, first in pursuing godly conduct, first in reacting to criticism with godly behavior, first in their affection for God's people, first in their pursuit of Christ. Set that standard. Go first in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, in your personal purity. Ultimately, the the servant of God is called to be a steward of his reputation. When we face crisis by deciding in this moment, I will be a steward of God's glory. Stop believing the lies of your ego that you need to defend yourself. 
You need to harden your position. Because God has a word for this. Have nothing to do, he wrote later in a second letter to Timothy, with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they just breed quarrels. So when controversy happens, that's an incubation center for battles that do God and His gospel and His glory no good. Have nothing to do with it. But instead, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation. That word literally is to encouragement, to teaching. Don't neglect the gift that you were given by prophecy in the council of the elders when they laid hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Isn't that fascinating? When we worry about others and their lack of progress, the Apostle Paul is saying, focus on yourself. Because God receives glory when you pursue your calling and demonstrate godly character because wisdom from on high is obvious. Now, um, this is a fascinating verse to me. Be- because I, I grew up in a, a Southern Baptist church that was always worried we would be infiltrated by false teaching. We were always taught Watch out. Scrutinize. Watch out. And, and again, the apostle surprises me because he writes Timothy and he doesn't say, watch out. He says, watch in. Give attention to yourself and your teaching. Make sure when you stand up there, you really do have a word from God and not a word from Timothy. It's a challenge for me sometimes because there are some Saturday nights where I feel like I, I think I've got something to say, but um, is, it, is it from God? Keep close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. Keep after it. In the middle of crises, persist, and you will save both yourself and others. Uh, Sherry and I, went, when I was teaching at the seminary in uh, Cochrane, Alberta, we had a neighbor named Helmut Schmidt. He was a German immigrant, and he was kind of like the neighborhood Pharisee. So he was always looking over fences to make sure people were composting properly. I felt a lot of uh, stress because I had moved there from Malaysia where everything also can. <laughs> but, but in Canada, everything also cannot. You know, I could not wash my car in my driveway. Helmet came out and told me, you know, it's not allowed here. City ordinance. The soap suds go into our pristine river, then how? So I feel, felt really nervous all the time because he was always checking out. We can only have so much rubbish. We can't wash our cars properly. I mean, and, and the, the worst thing was the grass must be pristine. 
and I um, didn't have time for my hair to be pristine, let alone my grass. <laughs> you know, I was teaching full-time at the seminary. I was pastoring full-time at a church in another city 20 minutes away. So we were really, really busy. And one day I came driving home, and, and Helmet, the neighborhood Pharisee, was standing in my driveway with his hands in his pocket like this which is code language in Canada for, if you have a minute, I have a word to say to you. Don't want to disturb you, just standing out here, if you have a minute. So I, I got out of my car and said, hey, Helmet, how's the, how's the day going? And he said, you've got yourself a fairy circle here, I see. Fairy circle. I had no idea what a fairy circle is until he pointed it out. You know, fairy circles, it's actually, you know, infestation of mushrooms. And you can't actually see the spores of these mushrooms. They blow in the wind, and then pretty soon everybody has fairy circles. It's, and, and worse, um, you know what all these are? They're, they're dandelions. There's no such thing, uh, Ian, of one yard with dandelions. If one yard has dandelions, everybody has dandelions. Do you know some people like that? Always peering over your spiritual fence, pointing out the weeds in your garden. You would think that when the church is in crisis, when people are bringing weedy teaching into the church, that should be the time when the Apostle Paul would say, you know, Timothy, go start weeding in that garden. Start yanking out those weeds. I'll call it church discipline. Call it correction. Call it whatever. Just start pulling it out. But instead, the Apostle Paul says, Timothy, cultivate your own garden. This is what we pastors need to do every day as we come to God's Word. We, we realize His Spirit is, is coming to us to say, cultivate your garden, Ian. Pull the weeds in your heart. Focus on the teaching and the calling with the character that honors God. That's what He calls us to. Not just in every church, but in every office in Singapore, in every school, in every home. Yes, people are imperfect. People are living lives full of weeds that the evil one sows in the middle of the night. Let's just agree, God calls us in crisis. Pull our own weeds. Cultivate the garden for His glory. It's not church growth strategy. It's the way God's people can move beneath the pleasure of the Almighty. So as we close this morning, I want to invite you to bow with me. I know nothing about your life. I don't know the arguments you've had this morning with your spouse. I don't know the difficulty you've had with a coworker this week. I just know that all week long, I've been looking at my own garden. And I want to invite you right now to, 
take a moment and peer into your own. Is there something there that does not give glory? Is there something in the Lord's garden, in your home, in your heart, in your workplace, that you would allow the pruner to come? Say, just come, God, and cut that out. If there's anything in my life, anything, walk about in this garden of my heart. Take out anything that doesn't please you. Expose anything that grieves you. Walk about and make this garden full of the sweet aroma of the living God, King of creation. Father God, how grateful we are for your word that through the faithfulness of your people has been preserved for us even up to this day. We thank you for a faithful old missionary who would write and encourage a young pastor whose words would be used for generations to encourage God's people. Keep a close watch on yourself. Keep a close watch on the teachings you propagate. Persist in this so that you and your hearers might be saved. Father, strengthen our character with your holiness. Give us the courage to be first in faith, in love, in holiness. So that men and women who know us would wonder why, why are those people so different? Make us different for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.